Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life, while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger, and don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com slash sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Conradinho, call me Jim Conrad. My new nickname's Power Outage because my power's been out for three out of the last four days due to the severe storms here in Northern California. I'm not happy about it, but we can talk about that later. And I'm being joined by Hollywood Heath Pierce and Charlie wearing a camel hair jacket, Chuck Wagon Davies. And we're getting after it today. We have a great show for you. As always, we're talking about Zinedine Zidane saying, I'm not going to take the U.S. men's national team job. We got Christian Pulisic getting injured again. The guy's a glass house. Weston McKinney playing a different position and playing it pretty well for Juve. Is he on the move? Americans abroad in general. Talk about the January camp as well. We got a nice full show, but I want more answers from Chuck about this camel hair jacket. Where did you get that? It's really nice. It goes well with that chateau you're probably going to go to after the show. Yeah, it's uh, the brand is Acne. Um, it's like <laughs> Here we go. Oh, hashtag ad before we get started. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Swedish brand. I got it as a Christmas present from from my lovely wife. So that's very sweet. Um, and it's warm, so it does it does the job. And it, yeah, it does the job, and you look great. How about you, Heath? How you doing? I'm doing good. There's some uh, people in there, Jimmy, that were a little thrown off by your two days of hat wearing uh, last week. <laughs> that uh, and also, I, I, I are you you're not home right now, are you, Jimmy? Are you somewhere else? No, I have to keep going over to a okay. neighbor's house. Yeah, because is it not a bit weird when you here. roll in with your gear and a and a and a megaphone and they're like, it's yeah, pretty man, weird. They think I'm, yeah, yeah. 
It kind of hey, looks like your your room as a college student. I feel yeah. like that's, that's, <laughs> that's I'm having flow. some top ramen later with uh, uh, a couple of my roommates. I love you know, that. So Just squeeze it up and pour the MSG straight into the bag, Jimmy. You know how to eat it. <laughs> Absolutely love to see it. All right, boys, let's talk about Zinedine Zidane and what this move means for U.S. soccer because I think it does – well, put some some signs out there, some feelers out there. There's some ripple effects to this type of decision. Whether Zidane actually took the job or not, and we can get into whether we thought he'd be a good manager. But just the fact that we're reaching out to someone of his caliber, especially given this Greg Berhalter situation and all the noise surrounding him, I'd like to think that that was a question that was asked of Zidane and his people prior to all this Reina Berhalter saga drama Chuck, what are your thoughts on Zidane and, and U.S. soccer? Just Let's just talk about that first step, reaching out to him and trying to get someone of his caliber, given what he's achieved both as a player and as a manager. I love the ambition. I can tell yeah. you that. I, yeah. It, I never thought that Zidane would take the U.S. job. And I don't think there's too many people out there that thought that Zizou would say, you know what, I left Real Madrid and er everyone is pointing towards the French job. That's what he wants. But to to absolutely make the call and actually get in contact with his people and say, hey, this is our offer. We'd love to see if you're interested in the job. I love the fact that we have that ambition. Go for the best. It's Go for someone right. who's won trophies, yeah. who's who knows how to handle egos, because ultimately we're going to have a number of players who are achieving great things in Europe, playing for top managers. You need to have someone who commands respect. You see Mbappe saying, hey, he is France. Don't disrespect him. He might not be able to have the job now, but don't disrespect Zidane Zidane. That's Mbappe, arguably the best player in the world right now. So yeah, to give it, for someone give, to, to manage these ahead. young players, that's 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 the idea. So I, I love the fact that we're thinking long-term and top of the mountain. Go for the best, absolute best coach that you can think of who can command respect. Okay, we're going to get into the other options that I think are out there still. But to give some context to what you said, Charlie, Kylian Mbappe said that don't disrespect Zidane. He's a legend because the French president of their federation came out and said, like, we're not, if Zidane called, I wouldn't pick up the phone because we're going to, we've already renewed Didier Deschamps for his third mm -hmm. World Cup cycle. So, so, and it, 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 the way that he said it just felt disrespectful. And I love that Mbappe came out. But once again, there's now more drama around, the French national team. They just love it. They, they, I, I feel like they thrive in those types of situations. Not always, obviously 2010 world cup, they completely imploded and got knocked out in the group stages, but, but more often than not, I think they're just comfortable with some chaos in their lives. Heath, any thoughts on, on Zidane and, and, and just us asking him, because I do want to say that he also turned down Portugal and Brazil who were inquiring as well. So it wasn't just a big fat no to us. There were some other significant countries that got the big, uh, 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 well, yeah, I think two things. One, yeah, it's a little unfortunate for him. And obviously, we love the drama. And I would believe that there's probably a number of French players that believe that uh, France or or France could use a new manager. I don't know how or what the difference is, uh, considering the success they've had. But Zidane, if you're if you're Mbappe, obviously, you're, you're, you missed out on getting to Real Madrid uh, with him and, and uh, trying to figure out how you can work under him. But for the U.S. national team, uh, with regard to Zidane, I, I think it's one great, uh, commentary. I think it's great PR. I think it's great um, just uh, signal of intent, so to speak, that 
because I think we're going to struggle, right? If we, we've talked about um, what's his name, Ragui or whatever, Jimmy and others, where I'm like, mm-hmm. no one's going to be happy with the next person we get unless there's a big leap between who they are now. Like I'm thinking like, and, and I know we're going to go through it, but like Yogi Lowe's of the world, people that have been successful at the international level that demand respect, that come with a, 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 a group of, of uh, staff members that can help to drive this thing forward. Uh, those are the kinds of people I'm thinking of. And I, and cause I think if you went from, you know, and if you were going from uh, Greg Berhalter to uh, domestically a uh, uh, Tab Ramos or a uh, Jim Curtin or uh, anybody, Steve Trundolo, I just think that while I think they could be successful, I don't think people will be satisfied with that. And the only way to get to that next tier of managers to go after the biggest ones first. Right. And then we can figure out what's next. Um, well, think to, yeah. to, 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 to build off of that, Keith, Think about how everyone is excited about Jurgen Klinsmann. He gets Germany to third place. He had coached Bayern Munich. People wanted someone different than an American because Bob Bradley, I mean, got out of the group, first in the group with England. And I think that was something that everyone is excited about, but everyone wanted more. They wanted the next step. So they thought Jurgen Klinsmann was that guy. Now he came with a different perspective and had a different idea how to achieve that for the U.S., but ultimately, we got the same result as, as we did with yeah. Bob Bradley. And I think Jurgen, by the way, started on the right track in terms of wanting overhauls, wanting to build infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I do think mm-hmm. some of the things we are seeing now was because of Jurgen, right? In terms of the youth, overhauling the youth, all that type of stuff. Now, he didn't have the success at the senior level, but he did come in and say, if I'm going to do this, I want control of all this stuff. We need to revamp the way in which we're thinking about it. And of course, then with, with that, naturally, things start to rise around MLS academies, the d- development, all those types of things. So I do think that he had some ideas and implemented some strategies that I think we're starting to see bits and pieces of now, which is, which is a really important aspect other than just judging what he did in a world cup, which was the same as every other manager outside of Bruce arena, which is what I really value about Jurgen Klinsmann. I think he's a good idea guy. I just think he's got to leave the execution to others, especially in the coaching department. I think that's where maybe he struggled a bit in, in having to take that next step. That's why I think Germany was successful because when he got third with them in 2006, Yogi Love was was the assistant. And and then Yogi Love took over and eventually they won it in 2014. And and I think Mm -hmm. Jürgen deserved credit for some of the ideas and strategies that he put in place for the German Federation as well. And and I think there are people out there that give him credit for that. Now, I wonder, when we think about a Zidane, and we lost out on Roberto Martinez, who somehow failed upwards to get fired from Belgium or resigned from Belgium, excuse me, and then moved over to Portugal, we miss out on him, who has expressed interest in coaching us. And I actually think that, for whatever reason, he felt like a nice fit just because he understood or at least valued the American player. And I wonder if a Zidane or someone like him comes in. There's something about what you said before, Heath, and I mentioned it in a previous podcast with Walid Regragui, the manager of Morocco, but he knew the Moroccan player, right? And he understood what made them tick. He played for the Moroccan national team. He, he coaches in Morocco. Like he just understands it and, and breathes it and loves it and has a passion for it and can speak to those players in a way that maybe others can't. Now to your point, Charlie, and to, to everybody else that wants somebody to be a bigger step over mm-hmm. Greg Berhalter. I want that too. You know, I want to see us really have that ambition. I like that we're being in a conversation with Zidane or Zidane's people or whatever. And I want us to continue to have those conversations, but I also want to make sure that whoever we pick, because obviously 2026 is a pretty big deal, that they also have this, this uh, somewhat of a base understanding of, of how the American play. It's just different. Every culture is different. Every player is going to be have their own set of 
of, of how they developed and all that stuff. And ours is continuing to evolve, right? We could, we could argue that other countries around the world have kind of hit their ceiling. How they develop their players is pretty much set. Yes, so there's some tinkering. Germany didn't make the Euros in 2000 and didn't qualify for a World Cup. And they made some changes at the youth level. And that obviously bore some fruit. And they won it in 2014. Belgium's obviously had a revolution there at the end of their golden generation. And, and so, yes, we're making some similar changes to all that. But I think our our... Our strategy, at least in terms of developing players and maintaining that development, continues to evolve and get better. So I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just kind of throwing that out there as, as a place to continue to yeah. have this conversation, Charlie. Uh, uh, I'm curious if you both feel this way, because this is how I, I feel in a way, that if an American manager is to take over, then they should have on their resume, if they're coaching an MLS, an MLS Cup trophies, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you are considered the best coach available and i think as an american coach coaching the u.s men's national team is the highest achievement it's the it's it is the cream of the crop job that's the job that you want to eventually manage now looking at the past and i'll go back as as far as uh, i guess 94 because boromilovic is the one who we took a foreign manager who took over a, a program when we were whack we were just whack and he changed the narrative. He gave them a, a different program and, and gave, made them realize their potential, got them to play a certain way. And that 94 World Cup, I think every American was proud of that performance because they played better. They got out as a third-place team, but I think they played overall above their their average, above their level. And they competed against Brazil, who were the eventual champions, and lost 1-0. We clapped, great. Then we went American the next, didn't go so well. Then Bruce Arena comes in, having been a, a successful college coach, no, not really a, a known as a soccer player himself, and then uh, wins MLS Cup with DC United, super successful coaching that team, and then we get to a, a quarterfinals. That that's that's the American coach right there. Mm-hmm. Not d- doesn't do so well in the next one. Then we bring on another uh, MLS Cup champion in, in uh, Bob Bradley, who won with a fire. He does really well, but we, we, we're still wanting more. So we go back to Europe and we get Klinsman. He pushes different ideas. Everyone's pretty excited, I'd say. And ultimately the same result as far as Bob Bradley. We go back. Uh, and for the record, go- that round of 16 completely outplayed by Belgium. Uh, Tim right. Howard stands on his head. But we are still, it's still, uh, in terms of moments, a, a, a um, you know, one, Wando finish away from that being different, right? So it, there's, there's a lot of degrees to the conversation. But ultimately, outplayed in the same way that, that we were in this game against the Netherlands, uh, I, I would say. So, if, so, if, so my, so look- my question, I guess, is what I'm getting at is if we don't have a manager who has won an MLS Cup on his resume, who we feel that can manage this group, who command, command respect, but also understands this, this new generation of players so they, they can have that connection to lead them, then I think we were forced to go to, to find a foreign manager. If, if we don't now, have now, that would manager, you put, then I think you, you have well, to go foreign, well, right? Would you put that foreign manager under the same on, through the same lens, that they had to have be successful at the club level to because if let's say Mauricio Pochettino, mm-hmm. um, Marcelo, I'm just throwing names out. Marcelo Bielsa, yeah. uh, the people that are available: Luis Enrique, Chiche, Yogi Love. When I think about those names, at least in terms of international managers, Yogi Love mm-hmm. is the obvious one. He's he's the only one that's won a World Cup. Bielsa would be interesting. He seems like he likes the day and day and grind. So I think he's more 
club. I, but I'm interested because I just feel like he would definitely push the envelope. I don't know if U.S. soccer is ready. I think I think there may be people that are still involved when Klinsman was around, and I just think he was maybe rocking the boat too much. I don't know. That's But I, I fear that there could be that they want to have someone that feels a little bit more malleable in terms of or compromising in terms of how U.S. soccer wants to like see it. Like living in that Chicago that's what I want. once? What's that? <laughs> like you got you have to live in Chicago. Oh, I think that's changing, by the yes. way. I think there's a hybrid to, to that now. I think that's okay. changed. Uh, I think um, there's, a, there's a hybrid approach to that now. So so, so I, that, yeah. that would be the only thing. I mean, I, I agree with you that I want a pedigree of success. Somebody that knows how to, to yes. lead players in high-pressure situations and knows how to, I mean, use Greg as an example in the World Cup, how to solve problems in the middle of a game, right? Has that in-game management that 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 they because they can rely on that and the players trust this because it's already been proven with they have that track record and i think that's super important to yeah. to have whether they're whether they're domestic managers or whether they're foreign heat i i struggle with just what that right um balance balances because at the national team level it's just so different right if you were to take now in the next three years right we've got to figure out a system of play, a style of play, the players we have available, the development of those players that are primarily dictated by the, their club environments, and then hope for a good draw to be able to judge what we're going to get out of in a World Cup, right? So I think setting the expectation of what we're actually trying to do almost has to remove the results of like a semifinal because you could get a really crap group just like we see every World Cup where the biggest teams go out in the group stages or they have a bad run. We are going to have that again at some point. It might be this World Cup. It might be the next one. It might be the one after that. This idea that the U.S. is just, again, I, and I say this every episode, that we're just going to continue on this incline until we reach the top and we stay at the top just isn't realistic because there's too many moving pieces, right? We saw a generation lost through, cycles, through, yeah. through development. Uh, we saw, we, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the fact that we're now seeing this current generation dealing with, you know, Pulisic injured, uh, Reyna constantly injured, uh, all these types of things that in three years you're going to deal with your own set of problems. Hopefully you have none and we're in what is our first uh, uh, part of our new golden generation or the new generation. Uh, but there's a lot of those pieces that make it really hard to judge a coach just based on like, where are they going to get us in a world cup? And I feel like we maybe need to figure out that baseline first of what we want out of the lead up to that before judging like the game, you know? Cause like I said, I went back and I was thinking about this about Belgium. We got outplayed. Tim Howard stand, stood on his head, but we were still a, a finished chance away from that being a different result potentially. Uh, and then we would have looked at it and said, look how far we went with Jurgen Klinsmann, right? But would that have actually been like systemically has it changed? Are we do we actually have a strong foundation or a baseline that we're building on? I think we are continuing to build that, but just basing it on which coach is going to get us to a semifinal, I think is a dangerous game to play uh, based on those variables. I agree with you on that. I mean, that's something that I remember asking Jurgen Klinsmann in terms of do we want to demonstrate how good we've become and how we're evolving? And now we're putting everybody on notice that okay, we're not there just yet but we are close and you can sense it and we can all sense it. Or do we just want to play to our stereotypes, sit back, hit them on the counterattack and set pieces and hope for the best, you know? And, and there was still an element of that. Now I think we've evolved from that and that's a good thing. And we have the belief, we have this young core of players that have this valuable experience. I think this group of players is going to be in a much different spot mentally as they should be, as they mature and as they get more experience wherever they're playing when they're 27 and 28 in 2026. And I think that, we're just going to have a manager that needs to – that's the hard part is you got to – I try to identify somebody now that's going to be a perfect fit for these group of guys, hopefully 2024 Copa America, and then, and then also in 2026. It's not easy. I still think there's a little bit of, of blind picking. But to your point, Chuck, 
I think that finding somebody that has had success with maybe different types of generations of players, I think Yogi Love would be, I'm actually kind of talking myself into Yogi Love right now because, <laughs> can, because, because he's it. managed younger players, he's managed some older players. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that he obviously had the most success when they won the world cup in 2014, when they were all bit in their prime. And if we could get him at the early part of a cycle, have a valuable Copa America in the middle of that, and then build it into 2026, I'd, I'd be really fascinated with Yogi Love. And I think, that's probably where I would lean if I could have my number one choice, knowing that Zidane's out. Are, we, are, are you guys ruling out? Um, I mean, it just feels very heavily towards European style managers. Um, would you? Are, are, would you rule I'm, out? I'm, I'm leaning towards that way. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably lean that that way too. I think that, uh, especially because there are some intriguing options. I mean, Luis Enrique is uh, intriguing as well. Chiche would be interesting, you know, this old Brazilian guy coming in and, and uh, looking at our team and going like, I can work with this. You know, I mean, if they just would have the right energy, they would need the right energy to write to really approach this. But and I think they would if they took the job. And I, from what I understand, the offer that they proposed to Zidane was pretty significant in terms of money. So I, I think that we could go get whoever we wanted. They just have to buy yes. into the project, to your point, Heath, and to, yeah. to what you were saying, too. Yeah, too. I would say, you know, if you're looking at the top candidates available you, you know, Thomas Tuchel will be interesting because of the relationship with Christian Pulisic. And, you know, all of a sudden he's your national team coach. But like we all know, things can change. It, relationships are, are, are constantly changing in this game. You know, one manager doesn't like a player. All of a sudden, all these players get injured. He's forced to play that player. And next thing you know, they're best friends. These things happen. So, yeah, Thomas Tuchel, who's won a Champions League. Luis Enrique, who's played on, on successful Spanish teams. But as far as managing, I think that's important in terms of what is their staff as well. You know, what, I mean, he was a runner-up at Nations League uh, in Nations League. So he also he also know, won with, yeah. with with Barcelona as well. I mean, he's mm-hmm. had success as a club manager. And then you have uh, Yugi Love, who obviously should be a top candidate con- considering his experience. Pochettino's, I feel like a man manager has some good style, has coached some egos at PSG, so you know he, he knows how to deal with with players. And then, you know, in terms of Americans, other, it's, there's not a lot that I that I would say, oh, you know, I feel like Chirundolo would be a good one in five years, 10 years yeah, down same, the road. Same, um, same. He, he's a great person, obviously a good coach, being able to win an MLS Cup in his first year. But I, I feel like that's just a process that's down the road. And, and, and in terms of, of guys that will get me motivated, I think it's it's definitely a foreign manager. And, and so who would you go with then, Chuck? Who, if you had to pick somebody right now, obviously we'll give you, well, we'll give you the, the, the disclaimer that you can change your mind later. But as yeah. of today on this podcast right now, and everybody that's watching or listening, hit us up at ISWT pod on the Twitter and mm-hmm. let us know who you would like at this moment. We will hold you to it, but who would you like at this moment, given who's out there? Chuck, go for it. Of any manager in the world? Yeah, anybody. Well, I mean, Zidane's already out, right? Roberto Martinez is out. Just of, like mm-hmm. who's available and who do you think of, is of, somewhat of a viable of, of realistic options. Realistic is, options. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp is not a realistic option, and neither is Pep Guardiola. I would say Yubi Love, just because oh, there we he, go. He's coached the national team. He's had success. Why not continue? I know we had the Klinsman experience, but I feel like he's a little bit more uh, understated and someone who's. I, I feel would be more open to the dialogue and not saying things have to be this, this, and this. So 
that would probably be my choice of available managers right now. All right, Chuck, me and you are on the same page, and we know that he likes to pick his nose and eat it, so that's something nice that we haven't seen from him. Yeah, maybe maybe we can <laughs> quite some time. No, he's, he's a scratch and sniffer, dude. He hey, he, he, I know that I know that you want to say Jason Christ, but but uh, let's uh, uh, let's go. <laughs> Jason Christ <laughs> just took a stray for no reason, but I just I just thought, I wanted to throw that out there. What like who are you going with? I mean, uh, I I said it in, in in the first few minutes of 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 this this show of like Yogi Love just because of the fact that he's taking something that's not at ground zero, right? The national team, the squad, the quality, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. and we've seen not only that, but he he's also got the level of res- like he's not so big that we think he's going to jump ship and the pressure's going to be too high, mm-hmm. but he's somebody that's thrived in this type of environment where where he's a man uh, a national team manager. Not only that, but he's had to deal with egos. He's good at playing young players. He's had to push them through full generations. He's kind of gone through all of that, and he's earned the respect of saying, "Like, when I'm done with this job, is when I I leave, you know, and and I'm gonna I'm I'm going to see this thing through." And again, coming off the back of the uh, of uh, what was it? Was it uh, early two thousands or 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 something like that, where Germany went through their whole sort of or late 90s where they yeah, went through yeah. their whole like revamp of everything on a 10-year plan, building their training centers within a certain right. distance of all the clubs and all the things that they did to get to, to their World Cup win. Um, Yogi Lowe ha- has ha- jumped into that part of the process, right? Like you said, post-2000, what was that, 2006? Uh, he was part, he was, he was in the Where 2016. he was assistant, assistant, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then took over as, as the head manager. And it's just had this run of, of developing and being part of this process, but also has gone about it relatively quietly, which I like. Right. He's not a big, loud manager. He's not in your face. He's not at the club, but we see every week and having to make a statement, things like that. And it's gone about it and gotten su- success and built respect out of just results and seeing what the team has done and not by being the face of the national team and all these types of things, which I, I, I really like. And when I think about what we need, we don't need a quick and easy win. We need somebody that's going to come in there and, and really dig deep uh, yep. and look at it as not a three year project. And I know this goes against Jimmy's rules. But a but a but a four or five six seven eight year project of seeing not just the team get results, but also infrastructure and feeling like when we come out of the backside of that, we go, wow, we've got this like stability now in the national team and quality and players coming through that are being identified and developed the right ways. That I'm not worried about the future. Yeah, we're gonna have some bad World Cups in the future, but I'm not worried about where we're going. I also what I like about him is he seems to have built really good coaching staffs. We, we can look at Hansi mm-hmm. Flick, right, who was part of his coaching staff when they won it in 2014. Hansi Flick is now the full-time manager for Germany. Didn't do so well in this past World Cup, but uh, had tremendous success with Bayern Munich. The guy knows what he's doing, and, and uh, I think he was going to get that ship righted uh, very, very soon. And I also agree with you about Yogi Love. I think he'd come in, and I like that he's used to the pace of a national team. I like that we wouldn't be necessarily going to get somebody – who's been who's never in done it the trenches of the club scene. Right. Go ahead, Chuck. What was that? Yeah, one who's never done it before, right? Yes, right, 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 right. So imagine and what it, it feels like every weekend yeah. to, to watch club games happen, and that's the environment you've been in, right? When you first retired and you see this happening, it's like that can't be an easy feeling for somebody who's used to that type of pace, and yeah. now you're doing a lot more managerial stuff. You're on the field almost never. Like, that's a that's a huge change. It would be a huge change, and so – I think what we're saying here is I'm hoping that Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride and Cindy Cohen are watching. We have made our decision. We want Yogi Love to be our national team coach, <laughs> at least for today. Hey, hey if at they went out and, and tried to talk to Zidane Zidane, why not Yogi you, Love? How could you not be hopeful about the next hire and that they're, they're approaching people that have the credibility, that will command respect, that people will be, oh, damn, the U.S. soccer is trying to 
to push the boundaries. But we're all sure that Greg's out, right? Like he's not the right guy for the next next four years. Well, I've, for, I've been saying for a number for quite of some time. And now yeah. you have all this smoke yeah. around him. Yeah. I just think if you want to bury all these questions that are going to fall around Greg and the players and Geo. I think it's too much. Yeah. Considerable future. Like you, point. you. it's just at this point. Yeah. I think there's too much smoke and I think we have to move on from him. I thought we should move on anyway, because I don't think, as I mentioned before, anybody should have the job for more than four years. Even Yogi Love, who could hand off the baton after he does some good stuff for us in 2026. Yeah, I said it. Yogi Love for the U.S. Men's you're National just, Team job. because he beasted you in some headers in, in training back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk uh, a little bit about a pretty well-known name, Gareth Bale, who just retired. He officially announced his retirement from the Welsh national team and also the club scene. He is no longer going to be playing soccer, that is. He'll be playing a lot of golf, I'm sure, but a pretty tremendous career when you think about it. What's weird about him is, is it just feels like he, he – I don't know. If, in some ways, it feels like he could have achieved even more. But he's won five Champions League trophies, four Club World Cup titles, uh, three European Super Cup championships uh, – uh, championships, I say. Three La Liga titles, uh, three Spanish Super Cups, one MLS Cup, which he did, obviously, in the best MLS Cup final of all time. All three of us were there in L.A. against Philly, uh, Supporters' Shield, and his one season, you know, Copa del Rey. He won the Golden Boot Award of the FIFA Club World Cup, Premier League Player of the Year in 2012-2013, six-time Wales Footballer of the Year. He won the English Football League Cup. <laughs> I like how these are being put down for me. English Football League Cup in 2008, which is the Spurs' last significant trophy. Uh, let's just talk about Gareth Bale. Let's give him his flowers here, Chuck. Do you think he could have achieved even more? Because it felt like at times he couldn't always be that bothered to go out there and do the job. However, you say that. And he also got Wales uh, into a semifinal of a Euros in 2016. Mm-hmm. He also got him qualified for a World Cup for the first time in 64 years. So, so then all the stats and everything he's accomplished seem to counter him not necessarily always being that interested, which I find him to be a bit of a conundrum as a player. But, man, when he's on, there's just no stopping that guy. No. Uh, you give him all the credit in the world. He, he fulfilled his potential. I mean, look at all the records and the goals and the, the assists and – the chances he created playing left back all the way up, moving moving up uh, up the field just because he, he's that gifted uh, athletically and physically. So, I mean, you could tell at the end that his body wasn't wasn't where it needed to be, right? I mean, we watched him play in, in MLS. We watched him play in, in the World Cup, and he just didn't have the, the burst that we're used to seeing from him. He didn't have – his body – was, was not where it used to be. And you, you could just tell that he was ready for, for the next chapter. So, I mean, from that standpoint, Wales, uh, what he did for his country, for Wales, I mean, just he did, deserves a standing ovation yeah. straight up. And maybe maybe scored the most clutch goal and one of the biggest goals in Champions League final history with that bicycle against Liverpool, Heath, and obviously got a gift from Loris Karius for his second in that game. But, but he did have a clutch gene that I don't think a lot of players had. And obviously it showed itself once again in his last ever professional game in LAFC's big win in the final against Philly. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think the reason that we, we, we give him a hard time is because he, even though you look, you look at his stats, the the amount of goals that he scored when he was uh, playing in champions league, playing in the domestic league, the trophies that he's won, all those things are peak. I think with him, when you saw him break out onto the scene, you're like, this could be a world player of the year. This could be one of the best players to play the game, right? And and as that faded into his late 20s, early 30s with injuries and then sort of not having it consistently at the level that you want, right? We judge the best players ever 
against Ronaldo. We judge them against against uh, Messi. We judge them on their ability to put up stats week after week, month after month, year after year for their entire careers. And and obviously he didn't have that. But when he was on, he was still unbelievable. He was still one of my favorite players to watch. He still glided. And like Charlie said, you could just sort of see, even in L.A., his game, his style had changed. He wanted the ball at his feet more often. He couldn't cover his ground. He didn't have that ability to just explode past you in the way that we knew him. Um, and also, I think he's probably physically under, uh, understands where he's at physically because he for could sure, easily go sure. to, to anywhere he wants to make a ton of money mm -hmm. and just keep beating up his body if he wants to. But I think he sort of goes out a champion, goes out a, uh, uh, out of the World Cup as well. Like all those things are like a real peak, I think, to go out on that he, if it was about money or just continuing to play, he could easily do that. But I, I just think physically he's just not there anymore. I think that to enjoy it. I mean, to enjoy it. I no, can't speak for how he actually feels, but to enjoy it on the level that he once did. Of course. I think what's interesting about Gareth Bale is that we all have a goal of his that we remember. That's the type of thing that he was known for. So this is part of the conversation I'm curious about. And Chuck, where is he ranked? Would you put him top 30 of all time? Top 40? I, I, I would. I wouldn't say Damn. top 20 for me personally, but but would he fit into your top 30, top 40? Okay. Where where does he fall in your echelon of, of greatest ever because when you look at what he's accomplished he's won a significant amount of significant mm -hmm. trophies especially at the club level of course well no doubt he's in the top 100 i think we can all yes. agree on that okay 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 top 100 top 50 that's yeah that's yeah tough. right he's I, like I, mean, I don't know i'd have to look yeah, at a list to in, really in see in terms for of sure, trophies but. for sure but i think on natural talent probably not because think about the list that we put together for top 10 players of all time Mm -hmm. And you, you get to 10, you're like, oh, my God, there's still like a good 15 that I could put in this list. You know, Ronaldinho mm -hmm. doesn't even make a lot of the top 10s. Oh, he was because he was nine. He was nine years. Right. He wasn't 17 years at the highest level. He was nine. And some of these players that are in your top, you're top because of what they did during that short window. But they didn't have mm -hmm. the, 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 the 14, longevity. 15 year like on top of the world type of thing. You know, there's this like steep cliff on the end of some of them. Yeah, I, I'd say. The top 50 is, is where it, it gets tough to see if he, he is in that top 50, but uh, for sure in the top 100. Top 100, yeah, I think he's in that mm -hmm. conversation. What about you, Heath? What do you think? Just, just kind of ballpark and guesstimating for me. What are you saying for him? Because it's tough because when you start to – honestly, I didn't really think any if, – if I hadn't looked at all of his accomplishments and the trophies he's won because he basically wins trophies wherever he went, even with Spurs, which, which you know, that, that's significant mm -hmm. because they don't win trophies very often it's just interesting when you, if you take all that out, I'm like, no, he scored some big goals. I know he won some champions league trophies. He wasn't like had to be the guy for, for Madrid every single time. He was part of a bigger puzzle there. And obviously CR seven was the main guy, the, the alpha there, but he still stepped up in big moments and helped them win significant trophies. I, it's I'll interesting. Say, actually, I'll say right now, he's definitely not in the top 50. He's not. Yeah. In the top yeah. 50. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. It's tough to say because he was on teams that won significantly. He scored a, a goal almost every two games at Real Madrid, even though we complained about his overall impact, right? Um, when when he was at Spurs, especially when he was a teenager coming into his early 20s, he was unbelievable, right? When he just sort of had this, like, young player and then all of a sudden, like, superstar. And that's what led to that, obviously, huge move to Real Madrid. And so at that period and then for years after that, you're like, yeah, I can see it. But it's hard because his stats are massive, but – but at, at his age and the fact that it's probably been, even though he got, even though he scored most of the goals to get Wales into the World Cup, 
what is Will's best ever player, even though there's a Ryan Giggs exists, uh, you know, these types of things. It's, I mean, it's really, I definitely, I would say definitely top hundred. I could maybe see 75, 80 in that conversation. It's hard to generationalize yeah, everybody, of course, but, of course, but, of but just out of his pure numbers that he put up when he was in form and, and you got to, what it looks like, uh, I'd say 2007. Yeah. You got to, over a decade of quality out of him as well. Um, he's got to yeah. be, he's got to be up there and, and he could probably put up an argument against a few in the top 50. Um, but, but it's hard to uh, uh, just stream of consciousness, put him in there. Yeah. I put him in the second 50 for sure. And even then I don't even know exactly. I think 75, 80, you know, once we start to list out everybody, you'd be like, all right, he probably mm-hmm. deserves to be in this area of it. All right. We're going to take our first and only break of in soccer. We trust when we come back, we're going to talk about Christian Pulisic who's hurt. Once again, and other Americans abroad and talk a little January camp. So don't go anywhere. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step. The reason building a business is tough. Taylor brands is simplifying the business journey from launching and managing to growing your business. Taylor brands. Isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success with Taylor brands. Building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash cbs sports so start your business journey today with taylor brands robert half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring if you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too that's why you need robert half our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary ai to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting technology marketing and creative legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back, everybody, to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davies and Heath Pierce, and I want to remind everybody not to miss out on any of the Serie A action that's happening on Paramount+. Plus. So make sure you follow some of the biggest stars in the sport, like Olivier Giroud, Rafael Leao, and Lataro Martinez. They try to lead their teams to the Scudetto. There was a crazy... 2-2 result yesterday between AC Milan and Roma. Roma scored two goals in the last five minutes to draw 2-2. That was a great game. So how will the table change going forward? Which club has the best chance of winning it all? Which clubs have the most to lose? Find all the answers and stream every match from Italy's top soccer league live only on Paramount+. And you can try one month free with promo code SERIEA. That's S-E-R-I-E-A. We just say ah for the A because that's what we do. All right, everybody. Let's talk about Christian Pulisic. The man is out. He's hurt, and which is a shame because he was playing some games from Grand Potter, and he was getting back in the rotation. He had three starts in a row, and now, according to the manager, he says he's going to be out for a couple weeks. He just mm. opened up his knee in the game against Manchester City, and they're still analyzing it, but they did not play in yesterday's game against Man City once again where they lost 4-0, and maybe that's probably good for that him. <laughs> he didn't play in that one. Because Man City were on it. But this is a worrying concern. And Chuck, I'll come to you first on this about Christian Pulisic, who seems to, at least when we put it under the the microscope of his time at Chelsea, anytime he looks like he's on the precipice 
of starting a good run and earning the trust of the manager to be a regular, he somehow gets an injury and we find ourselves in that position once again. It's unfortunate because timing is, is, is everything in, in a lot of ways when it comes to getting your opportunity and, and being able to sustain that spot and, and keep it going. So it, it just feels like I, I think we're just beating a dead horse at this point. That he, he needs, <laughs> Please, he needs, Charlie. He needs, to go, <laughs> he needs to go to another place. He needs to go to another place. he's going to be injury-free somewhere else? Is that, what, is that what's going to happen? No, I just think his time there has, has come to an end just because people have painted this picture of, yeah, he's a talented American, but he, he's injury-prone. He gets injured too much, and he's not – He's not going to get us to that next level. He's not going to be a player like Eden Hazard who can score goals and and create that spark for us and do it consistently. So I just feel that the Chelsea supporters feel the same way. Yeah, he's a good player, but we don't need him. Right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So so let's talk about Chelsea's kind of transfer news because if, if he's going to make a move, maybe he should be doing it right now. But now that he's hurt, over the next few weeks, which is when the transfer window is going to end, maybe that window is going to close, and maybe summer was going to happen anyway, and not in this January transfer window. We got Todd Bowley, who apparently has stepped back from being the one pulling the strings and the transfer stuff for, for Chelsea, but they were in for Enzo Fernandez. They're currently looking to sign Joao Felix from Atleti on a loan spell. Like they're, they're continuing to try to go get more and more pieces when they got all of these guys. Now, I know that Raheem Sterling's hurt. I know Aubameyang's hurt. Uh, I know that Ziyech is coming back. Kai Havertz. Like, they have some injury concerns. But it just it just feels like there's this crazy ambition, at least under the new ownership group for Chelsea, that they have to go out there and get all these new pieces and never actually let those pieces settle down because they're always looking for the next thing. And I think that's going to work against Chelsea, and that's probably a different conversation. But how do you think that impacts Christian Pulisic and his future, Heath? I think if he was fit and healthy, I think it would be a great opportunity with Bully stepping back. You remove the American sort of links to it and the fact that you're bringing in, whether it's a Joao Felix or a Mudrik or whoever it is you're going to bring into the club, the writing's on the wall. You've probably also sort of just ran your time there, right? You take away this injury, you still have a list of injuries. You still have a list of inconsistent performances and all these things where perhaps he, his his opportunity to build the trust is, is maybe gone with, with Graham Potter, with the club, and he can leave on good terms and, and go somewhere else, whether that's a loan move or or probably have to be sold um, at that point. I still think that it's probably all the pieces in place that are starting to create that momentum now, like you said, with this injury. Who knows if that window closes and now he's stuck buried even more in a lineup and we lose another six months from him. Or at least maybe period we get clarity that, okay, it's 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 been decided, right? The future is not with the club and that when the next window opens, he can take the next months to get a few games and to show that he, he's, he's healthy and fit and has the quality that we all know that he has to find the next right club for him. Okay, let's now pivot then, because I'm very curious to see how this all plays out for Christian, but I don't think he's going to be making a move until the summer, especially because of this injury. To Weston McKinney, that's another big name here for us Americans uh, in, with regard to the transfer window. Now he's being shopped around, or his people are looking to shop him around. He's being linked to Wolves. He's being linked to Aston Villa, Bournemouth, and Borussia Dortmund are the four teams I'm hearing. You guys can throw in some other ones if you've heard. Otherwise, he just started this past weekend for Juventus and their 1-0 win against Udinese. And he actually played kind of right wing back. And I actually thought he played pretty well. They played in a 3-5-1-1 formation. And he mm-hmm. was all the way on the right. And I liked him there. Now, now I don't know if that's his future. We obviously have some good depth in that 
particular area of the field, Chuck Wagon. But yeah, but, we brought six of them to a World Cup, Jimmy. We know <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. We didn't use all of them, but we should have brought. Maybe we should have brought some more just for fun. Hey, Weston, get in line, man. You want to be get right line, back? Weston. You're seventh in the depth chart. You're seventh in the depth chart at right back. But but do you think Weston should stay at Juventus? Now, I just want to give a shout out to them that under Maxi Allegri, they've quietly moved their way back up at the second. They're mm-hmm. currently tied on points with AC Milan. A quiet second, right? And for them, it is. I mean, they well, were, they play they Napoli were, on Friday, so we'll find out. We'll, we'll find, find out just how good they are. One hundred percent. That's why Serie A, everybody, on Paramount Plus. Go get that free one, one, one month trial, so you can see that game. That one in particular, Napoli versus Juventus. But what do you think Weston should do, Chuck? What do you What do you think he should go? Should he stay? Should he go try to go tiptoe into what's happening in the Premier League? I would say if he's playing, then you you just you. You want to stay at a club you're playing. It's Juventus. This isn't bottom of the barrel in any league. This is Juve. If you're playing at Juve and if you're playing on the right, if you're playing as a right wing back or right midfielder or right back, then you play. You stay. You're playing. Ultimately, you want to play at a top club. He's at a top club and he's playing. So you stay put. Unless there is a better opportunity, which there aren't too many. Bournemouth's not better. Juve. You don't like Bournemouth, <laughs> dude. Up the cherries, dude. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to any any team in the bottom bottom third of, of the Prem, uh, leaving Juve. As you're the, you're always competing for champions. You're always competing for the Scudetto. You're not leaving. So, I like what I've I saw from Weston on that right side in the World Cup. Just think about the England match. He was playing more like a right midfielder, and he was breaking through the lines. He was he's finding the ball. He's efficient with his passes. So we've seen that even with his early days at Schalke, he was playing at right back. He was playing right midfield. He was almost known as the utility player because he could play in so many different positions. Mm-hmm. So he he has that in him. We just want to see him be more efficient when he is in possession because we've seen with the U.S. men's national team when he's playing in the center of the park, sometimes he loses the ball and he gives it away easily. And you, you can't do that. So I think mm-hmm. we've seen uh, in some instances the Iran game where he showed his creativity on the ball, his 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 pass to Serginho Dest, which was incredible. So there are lots of, of aspects of his game that you love, but sometimes you watch, you say, ah, you're, you're letting yourself down with, with that, either that idea, that thought process of picking the wrong player in possession or just giving the ball away when you know possession is so valuable. So I think it's just a matter of, of the maturation process of, of figuring out where is his, his best position because it's not necessarily a six because he loves to venture forward. And I wouldn't say it's a 10. He's definitely not a creative creating midfielder um, in terms of an attacking, just attacking midfielder. So is it an eight, which I think fits really fits him or is it, is, is it a right midfielder who tucks in and he can, you know, win, you know, those, those 50, 50 balls in the air, you know, make late runs in the box. But I think Weston is, is still trying to figure out where's his best position and where can you get the most out of him with the group of players around him. Now, Heath, and, I want to tee yeah. you up. I want to tee you up here because yeah. to, to Charlie's point, you stay at Juve, you're obviously challenging for trophies. Yeah, okay. but it, it was assumed That's two important. months ago that Juve were not challenging for trophies anytime soon. Well, they were okay, part of a new project. I feel like it this year. Down. If they win it. again, then I'm saying like you can. You, there's a there's a reason to stay. If they beat Napoli, then you're within a few points, and now you're in a title race again, right? Whereas right, before, right. I was like, dude, these guys might be fighting for a Champions League spot for the next years based on 
the way that they were playing, the performances and all that type of thing. And that's a very different looking environment because it's a big club underperforming. That's not exactly a great environment to be in. Well, when you have Chiesa, who's back being healthy, you have Di Maria, who's healthy. I mean, those guys are game changers. They're going to make the game easier. It's going to create more space for Weston, no matter what area of the field that he's in. But they got Rabio, who we thought were very good for France during the World Cup, right? I mean, as those guys start to stay healthy and get older, some of them, it's just and Weston included, I think it's going to be important. That said, when I think about Bournemouth, he shouldn't go to Bournemouth. I don't think he should go to Dortmund. But when I think about Wolves, you got Julian Lopetegui, who I like as a manager. And now he's there, and I think that he can improve as a player playing for Lopetegui. Now, Wolves' is set up, yee, I don't know, man. They don't look like they're having a lot of fun. It just seems you like – You can't tell me you would leave you there. I wouldn't. I wouldn't leave them, but I'm just trying to find a silver lining to oh Wolves. Oh, my if, if, gosh. If the previous manager or previous managers of Wolves were there, I would be like, don't go. But there's something about Lopetegui that I like, and I think he will change it. I think it will just take him some time. And you got Unai Emery at Aston Villa. I, I just think he'll improve as a player under those two particular guys. That said, I wouldn't leave Juve. I would stay, especially as people are saying in the comments, that if Allegri likes you and you're playing, then then you should stay. And then also your brother said that we'll see if Allegri trusts him in the biggest games, which I think is also important because we want him to get as much big game experience as possible. But he has trusted him in the past, and Weston scored. He scored against Inter Milan uh, earlier in the Italian Super Cup final that Inter ended up winning, I think, in penalties or a little bit later than that or whatever. And so he has, and he scored against PSG in the Champions League. Like he's being trusted in big games, but we'll see if it matters once everybody's healthy. I think is going to be the key. But anyway, sorry, Heath. I no, I mean, I, there was a great comment, and I, I can't remember who it was from about Weston being uh, that he played 20, 25 minutes at central midfield as well, and he's Swiss Army knife, so to speak, of the team. And when you're that age and 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 playing for a club that big, that's better being a Swiss Army knife of playing three, four different positions. And I think going to a Premier League club where it's all about fight and all these things, I think his ability to adapt and and learn and be in these difficult environments. And while the team is getting results, is an incredible place to be in. Again, we'll find out if they start to trust him when the full roster is back. But as of now, we said that in the beginning of like, oh, yeah, we'll see if he gets any minutes. He played 46-something games in his first season and all that. Like he was, he's been relied upon since the very beginning. He's never sat on the bench for mm-hmm. more than a game or two before he's back in the lineup for four, five, six, seven games. But again, you have the ball, right? So... You go from a top team in Syria where you're always competing for the Skedano or Champions League where you have possession, where you're playing with some some of the best players in the world to competing to off the bottom where you're just fighting if you're playing for Nottingham Forest or Bournemouth or West Ham, even Everton at this point. Wolves probably plays a little bit more, but if you're talking about any of those clubs, Leicester City on down, really, you're just running and fighting. You rarely have possession. You rarely can can show your different qualities other than 50-50 tackles, aerial duels. It, it's it's not, I think, the best for Weston to to continue to develop in the areas that we need him to develop to be the best U.S. men's national team player uh, for us. So I'd rather him play with the, the best quality player in, in yes. team than a lower quality in a so-called a better league that – they never have the ball where it's just running. Um, okay, so, well, let's segue because yeah. that's a nice segue into Brendan Aronson, mm-hmm. who Jesse Marsh has come out and said that he's been struggling and he's having trouble finding his form and he's not having the same type of impact that he was at the beginning of the season. And it, it shows. And I think you can see it in his body language. He's trying as hard as he can, but he's not having the same type of influence on the game that I think he would like and we would like as American fans when he's playing for Leeds. 
But to your point, Charlie, he's doing a lot of running, and I think he's run more than anybody else in the Premier League this season. There's never a question of effort with Brendan Aronson. It's a matter of how can he turn that effort into something more efficient and more meaningful for his team. And I think what's happening, and Jesse Marsh said this in a press conference, and I appreciate him coming out and saying that Brendan isn't – they clearly have already had a discussion about it. I don't think you say that as a coach without already previously discussing this with one of your players. But that Brendan's struggling a little bit, and we're going to figure out a way to put him in his best spots to help him succeed and to fight through this. But Jesse added that teams are starting to focus on him now, whereas he kind of came out of nowhere, and and they just weren't doing maybe the homework and weren't analyzing him in Mm -hmm. terms of how much of a pivotal role he plays for leads and whether it's their high-pressuring system or, or, or whatever it may be. And now they are. And now he's struggling with that. And maybe the physicality. I think people are like, hey, just knock him down a few times. And mm-hmm. he may, might not want to come around you anymore. Whatever it is. You know but what I think, I think it key- is? Go ahead. Tell us. It is, it is clearly a symptom of, of not playing in the World Cup in, in the way that you had hoped. That you were – he was on this, this fast like train, that. right? I like that. He, yep, he, yep. Come, he comes to uh, the Premier League. And he's saying, man, this is my opportunity to, to be a star with the full men's national team. And I'm playing every week. Um, I have managers talking about how good I am and my movement. It's tough to track me. I, I'm, I'm motivated. I'm inspired because I want to play in this World Cup and I want to have like a meaningful part to this team. We all go through this. You have a goal. You're working towards it. All the energy is focused toward this. You're in a good, good flow. And all of a sudden you get to that World Cup and you are a bystander. You're not really involved. It is deflating. And then to re-motivate yourself to go back into the Premier League, it, it, that's a big ask for a player who is yeah, I think of, you're right. of, of, of his stature. So I think right now he's just in the dumps. And yeah. when you're in the dumps, we've all experienced it. It is really tough, not only to just get yourself out of it, but you're playing for, for survival where every possession matters. And if you're not there hundred percent with, you know, that, that passion that you typically have, because you're just, you still feel down about that world cup and it's, it's, it brings you down everything about it, not playing. I think that's where he's trying to fight the, the mental aspect of, of being let down because he, he felt he earned maybe that, that position or that chance and didn't get it. So it, it just takes a while and, and it'll come. It always yeah, does, come. Come. but right now it's it's he, that moment. Heath, do you think that Brendan Aronson's parents should call Ernie Stewart and let him know that? <laughs> at least let him know what soon? his experience is. <laughs> too you know? Sorry, too at soon. least, at least, I, I agree with, though, I agree right with Charlie. Though, it's, a men- it's a mental letdown. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. no, it's a mental letdown, and I think what we've seen in Brendan Aronson's career is that nobody knew what his upside was. Right? They knew he had energy. They knew he was technical, explosive, um, and we've seen with him that. When he's, uh, we've seen him struggle at times when he's put into the central midfield position, right? How to be impactful. And when the game is not going in a way where his energy is the thing that is the differentiator, then there's other pieces of his game that have to start stepping up and becoming more consistent, right? And I think for a young player, you go to your strength. And his strength is, again, that high energy, that press, that chaos that he creates when he's on the field. And when that's not working, where the team isn't playing into that type of situation, He's kind of running out of, I think, ideas. And he's going, again, to the well of, of run more, do more. And like you said, Jimmy, when we started this conversation, there's a lack of efficiency, I think, in that. In other parts of his game now, that perhaps that was a blanket over. He's going to have to develop and find ways to be more impactful when it's not just about being the guy who runs the most and, and whatever. And 
you add that to a fragile mentality, which all of us have gone through at different points in our career when things aren't going our way or, or like Charlie mentioned, which I think is spot on about the World Cup not having the role that you want, especially after, again, you live that in your head your entire life until that moment. And when it doesn't work, it's not as simple as like, oh, I didn't play a game. You're like, no, no, I trained my whole life for this and now I'm not getting the chance that I want. That's the mentality that comes out of that. Not like, oh yeah, I didn't play, you know, because you don't know if you're going to get another World Cup and that's very different than the club scenario. And, and, so, and, and yeah. it's like, I'm performing in the best league. Right, yeah, how exactly. am I not getting that chance? Yeah, yeah. You, know, you have coaches saying, wow, Brent Aronson is doing this and this and what a great player he is. And now I'm not getting, I'm not getting anything in this World Cup? How? How? And I think yeah, that yeah. that kind of inner turmoil it prevents you from fulfilling your your potential and pre- prevents you from playing at your best. And he's got we've always talked about it. he has to figure out a way because he doesn't have to be strong. That's never going to be him. He's never going to be someone who can mix it up physically. That's not his game. You look at some of the greatest players to ever play. Did Iniesta have to worry about being physical or Xavi? And Xavi is a defensive midfielder. No, right. it's about right. positioning making the most with your touch, your technique becomes that much more important than your actual movement. And yes, he can make great runs, but he just has to be better when he has the ball, be efficient, be quick. Sometimes he takes too many touches. Sometimes he makes runs in the areas that he shouldn't. And so I think that's the part of his game that needs to develop when he can do that, take, take shots without making, you know, five, 10 touches, or that's when we'll start to see him evolve. So I think that's where the, kind of influx point what we're seeing at Aaron's and that. Well, one of my biggest regrets of my career was coming back to play for my club team immediately after the World Cup ended for us in 2006. It was maybe four or five days after we got knocked out by Ghana. I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just play because I feel like I have somewhat of a similar attitude or at least a mentality to Brendan. Like, I just want to play. I want to work as hard as I possibly can. I want, I want people to count on me. I love the responsibility. I'm just going to come back and play. And I was terrible in that game. I had an own goal, and, I, and Jaime Moreno ate me up on a 1v1. I just, I just I, I struggled to, to re-engage, and, and I had an emotional letdown following the World Cup. Now, I think Brendan's is different than mine because mine, I kind of accomplished everything I ever set out to do, and I got to prove to myself that I could hold my own at the highest level, and I proved people wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I had to come down from that and, and process that, and I didn't give myself that time to process it. Only when Clint Dempsey broke my jaw like a week later – that I get the proper six to eight weeks to really work through all of my feelings in some ways. And I think because of when this World Cup was, there's no gap in time. They don't have any time to process. They have to jump right back into it. So I think you're spot on, uh, Chuck, with, with, with what you first said, that I think it's mental. And I think it's going to be tough for him. I appreciate I, you. I, 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 he does have way, the right coach. I think he's got the yeah. right coach to help him work through this. And and I think I think that naturally, and, and, and I'm sure both of you guys experienced this, what it was like to go back to your club in a regular national team camp if you didn't play. That feeling of like, I've been away from the team, out of this environment. Now, Leeds had plenty of players away. But like, that feeling is just generally, in a friendly camp, you go to a double fixture and you don't play in the games, you come back and you're like, you feel like you've kind of cheated the system <laughs> yeah. a little bit, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. they're yeah. looking at you like, oh, you just went on vacation for a couple of weeks and you're looking, like that stress, That there's a lot of stress that goes into that, especially in locker rooms and things like that, even in the best of locker rooms. All right, let's do final thoughts, and I'm going to go first. This is about January camp. I know the roster hasn't been dropped yet, and I'm sure we'll talk about it as soon as it does, and I'm very excited to see some of the names. I just think this is a really valuable camp. I know we beat this horse before, Heath, I think when this was still called the U.S. Men's National Team Hour a year ago, but I think that this is an incredibly valuable camp. I know that people casually dismiss it, or not even casually, they just dismiss it completely. 
Now, I was a benefactor of the January camp, so I'm heavily biased here, and it's very personal camp to Cupcake. me with regard to this. Yeah, I camp want to raise Cupcake. my hand and say that. But Jimmy I think Cupcake it's really Conrad, Jimmy Cupcake I am, I am Camp Cupcake. I actually take offense to Camp Cupcake because I think oh, it's God. an opportunity. Like if you go and scout a player, let's say John Tolkien from the New York Red Bulls, and you see what he's about and all that, but all of a sudden you bring him into a camp. If you're the coaching staff for the national team, you get to see little things in training that maybe you don't get to see when you're watching a game. You get to see the professionalism of, of how they handle themselves in camp. How are they taking themselves? Just little things, intangibles. Are they on time? What do they say to each other? If there's a mistake, how does he react in training? How does he help out his teammates? How is he communicating? These are things you can't always pick up on in a game. And you start to get that eye test and you get to see these intangibles in person. If we're really going to count on the John Tolkens or Brandon Vasquez, if we bring him in, you can see what he looks like behind the scenes. You get to pull the curtain back and see what these guys do on a daily basis and how they take care of their business. And then you start to see, okay, I could see Brandon Vasquez fitting in with the group that we currently have. When else can we do that? When hey. else can we do that? We cannot do that anywhere else. Preach, we can't Jimmy. do it with a one yeah, week. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying, so this is this is a camp where we get to see some of our younger players who are thirsting for this opportunity in a meaningful op- in a meaningful way for a week, two weeks, three weeks. But we can't do any other things. And this would be a camp that we should be taking taking more serious, I think, from yeah. a from a fan perspective, because no other national team, I think, has this luxury like we do to try to see what we have in our younger talent. My, and now I'm done. Thank yeah, you for having yeah, me, everybody. Yeah, Jeez Louise, final thought. That was a baby's type of final thought. <laughs> hey, uh, my, was my, more. My, that was more. Yeah, that was more. That Man, we're all eating good today. Jimmy's on, on money. <laughs> I, I, my, my final addition to that is that if you don't think it's important, then tell me why Shaq Moore went to the World Cup. Tell me why um, Christian Roldan went to the World Cup. Tell me why... Um, uh, Paul Ariola did not. And that was all because there was a camp of a bunch of people that got to be in an intense environment and tough decisions had to be made before World Cup. Now, granted, that's just before the World Cup, but was it was was Shaq Moore on any of your depth depth charts? No. Not not at that time. Nope. But clearly he got that's into a position and an environment where he was able to prove himself and make a difference. Now that might be incremental or whatever, or it could be somebody's chance to actually put themselves on the radar in general. But yeah, I think any opportunity is a huge one. And for a sustained period, which the national team never gets, it's a blessing for anybody who gets to go into those camps. Agreed. Charlie, well, final thoughts of our final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's also a great opportunity for whoever the coach is. In this case, it's Hudson, not really the, the future coach. But you get a chance to see how they compete in training sessions every day, how they interact, how they mm-hmm. compete. Are they consistent? Are are you getting a player who only performs in matches in, camp, in these mini matches in camps, or are they consistent throughout the week? And just the ins and outs of who's got the biggest potential, who's ready for a move, those things add up. And it's just a great, you know, for younger players, you're saying, okay, I'm competing with the best of MLS, the best Americans of MLS. Maybe this is their, 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 the point for them to, to, you know, take that next step in their career. So that this season, they're like, okay, I've seen the best of the best. That was great exposure for me. Now I'm ready to take it to the next level. And I used that in January camp in 2009. That, that gave me the, the push because I said, okay, this is this is what Bob Bradley wants. You get an idea of what the coach wants. So Agreed. hopefully Agreed. we end up getting a coach in the next two months or so to, to figure out, you know, so these guys get a better chance of knowing, you know, what that coach wants and expects. Um, you know, what's what's the baseline to get into a camp? You know, do you have to be scoring goals or is it just playing? You know, 
you get an understanding of what it means to get a call up. And I think that's which important. means we got to hire Yogi Love as soon as humanly possible. All right. In soccer, we trust we are done for this episode. We will see you on Thursday. That is going to be kicking off at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Like always, I think we might have a January camp roster to get into. And that will be interesting as well. So have a great rest of the week. We'll see you in a couple of days. Thanks for your support. Later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.